0: From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's work-life integration project, and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman.
1: My guest in this episode is Julie Lithcott Hames, who served as Stanford University's Dean of Freshmen for a decade. And at Stanford, she received the Dinkenspiel Award for her contributions to the undergraduate experience. She's a mother of two teenagers and has spoken and written widely on the phenomenon of Helicopter Parenting. We spoke about her wonderful book, How to Raise an Adult, Break Free of the Overparenting Trap, and Prepare Your Kid for Success. It's a fantastic book. Uh, Julie has sound, practical advice for parents, reminding them, us, that the measure of success in your job as a parent is to become obsolete, to raise independent children. She explains the difference between supportive parenting versus coddling, how the latter is causing profound negative effects on the rising generation of adults in our society and how we can do better. So now, here is my conversation with Julie Lithgott-Hames. Julie, welcome to our show.
0: Stu, thanks so much for having me.
1: So... You have, uh, as, as a former dean of freshmen at Stanford uh, and as a parent of teens yourself, you've been sitting in the catbird seat there watching helicopter parents and overwhelmed young adults. And as, as parents and students are starting the new year, uh, which is always filled with a flurry of all kinds of new activity, meetings, carpooling, after-school commitments, everything else, um, what can parents do, what should parents avoid doing to start out, a fresh here, and to really pursue the ideal of raising strong, resilient, independent, competent young adults.
0: Yeah, well, that's the heart of the question. You know, I've got a, a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old here in mm-hmm. Palo Alto, California, which mm-hmm. is a high-pressure, high-stakes environment. My kids are in public school, a freshman and a junior, so I'm right there in the thick of it with any parent listening. And. Um, I Boys,
1: guess, girls? What? Uh, my
0: son is, is the elder, is 16, and my daughter is 14. Okay. All right. So, um, you know, I moved from being a college dean who was worried about the encroachment of parents into the life of college students, which mm-hmm. was happening on my campus at Stanford, but was happening nationwide as well. And tiers one, two, and three, four-year institutions all over were noticing in the prior decade more and more parents were feeling a need to be very involved in the lives of their college-aged sons and daughters. And, you know, over the years, I began to appreciate the link between what those parents were doing and what they were fearing and why they were so involved. I began to see the link between that and childhood itself. Hmm. Um, You know, I I realized I was on track to be one of those parents who couldn't let go, basically because I was doing so much for my kids when they were, you know, quite young. They were 8 and 10.
1: So what was what did you discover about what motivates parents to do that?
0: Well, I discovered that, um, obviously, we know we're motivated by a fierce love of our kids. We want the very best for them. These days, if we're affluent, if we're middle to upper middle class or beyond, we have a tremendous sense of our own ability to control outcomes. So we think, you know, the world <laughs> is scary and unsafe, and therefore, I can be your bumpers and guardrails. I can protect and prevent Um, I can protect you from everything. I can prevent every bad thing from happening. And we've lost sight of the fact that actually our job is to prepare our kids for that unfortunate but inevitable day when we're gone. And, you know, it it might help them achieve a short-term win if we're always protecting or preventing or smoothing the path or arguing with the teacher or the coach or doing their homework for them, you know, that overhelping that many, many parents these days do. But long-term, they end up, feeling, hey, I'm not capable of making my way in life without my mom or dad's vigilant help, and Mm. that messes them up psychologically. It means they're ill-equipped for a workplace that wants them to know how to make a plan, how to take the initiative, how to think two and three steps ahead. How to lead. How to lead, exactly. So I guess I saw um, that with the best of intentions, with a lot of love but also a lot of fear, Fear of things like strangers and fear of things like, you know, elite college admission. Um, We've we've become over helpers. And, um, you know, when, when I first wrote about this issue 10 years ago, I did an op ed for the Chicago Tribune. All I had were my good hunches as a freshman dean that, boy, this looks problematic. I'm working with young adults. They look very impressive in a GPA and transcript and resume sense. Right. But they don't seem to have a sense of self. What I mean is they're constantly checking in with mom or dad Hmm. for guidance around what to do, how to do it, how to resolve a situation. And I thought, what's to become of them? And more importantly, what's to become of us at a societal level? If this generation of adults, the millennials, you know, to whom my generation, Gen X, will want to hand the mantle of leadership one day, what will become of all of us if they've, not got the wherewithal to think and do and be for themselves. And, big and scary question. from failure. Sorry.
1: It's a big scary question. It is a big scary question. If, so, if indeed this is as rampant as you as you suggest.
0: Well, you know, it, one of the um, very um, important um, critiques that's come since my book was published almost three months ago is, aren't you only talking about the affluent? And I, as I said at the top of your show, you know, this is a problem in affluent communities where parents have the disposable time and income to spend on Mm -hmm. cultivating their kids every moment and to hovering on the sidelines of their every activity. Right. You know, but I wouldn't dismiss it as a non-problem. You know, kids who are raised this way end up with higher rates of anxiety and depression. Why? Because they haven't had the chance to form a healthy psychological self if mom or dad has been doing the hard work of life for them. right? And they Which are is much less likely in lower
1: leaders. income uh, parts of our society, right, where people have to become more self-sufficient because of their economic circumstances.
0: Well, that's the beautiful irony. You know, as Dean, I will tell you, my, my students who are from poor and working class backgrounds had a greater sense of a greater sense of, I can apply my effort, my effort to achieving these outcomes. Mm -hmm. I can figure this out, you know, by dint of a tougher life experience, they, you know, and they had made it to college, you know, so those kids, you know, as many educators are prone to saying these days, might actually leave their more affluent counterparts in the dust, you know, if a poor working class kid gets a decent education, good mentor to, you know, their life experience has given them that all important grit, resilience, you know, perseverance, all of that stuff they're going to need, whereas their more affluent counterparts who have been handheld and maybe coddled a bit too much um, are what one Massachusetts superintendent Calls um, veal. Young adults seem like veal out there in the world. They come running home in the face of the world's slaughter, you know. And I Whoa. would, you know, I mean, whether we want to think of the world as as a place where you know young people are slaughtered is, you know, that's sort of a pretty drastic way to pick. It's a rather it. violent metaphor. Is, it's a metaphor, and and if and if the world does um, threaten slaughter. I want my kids to be warriors, not veal.
1: Warriors, you know? not veal. So, c- can you give us uh, an example of the difference between helping and supporting and giving opportunity for growth and helping too much? Like, where is that line?
0: Yeah. Well, the line is present almost in every moment. And first I'm going to give you a philosophical answer and then I'm going to give you a practical. Okay. Philosophically, what we've got to really get through our, you know, <laughs> our heads is our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job and raise our offspring to an independent adulthood. Okay, we've succeeded if they are capable
1: of... But success. I'm immortal. I'm never going to die. So, right. of course, they're uh-huh. always going to need me.
0: Exactly. <laughs> all right. So, seriously, this is something we seem to have forgotten. We mm. seem to, we pretend as if our kids will only ever live within a one-mile radius of us and that we will always be there to solve their problems. Mm-hmm. And it's it's loving and it's helpful... Uh, in the short term, but it really cripples them long term. So if we can... All that's right, so the, that's, that's the, the basic fili- principle. That's, that's the principle that your mind and soul has to shift towards. Right.
1: So how do you then, play that you out, do do though, in, in, in real everyday life?
0: Well, here's the thing. Childhood will prepare a kid for independent adulthood if we will let it. So here's an example. Nowadays, uh, particularly in communities that are very focused on a kid's performance in school, how they do, and their activities... We tend to absolve kids of chores. Um, you know, all a kid has to do is say, I'm busy, I have a test tomorrow, or I have a lot of homework. And we say, okay, we let them off the hook for dishes and garbage and mm-hmm. laundry.
1: The resume what, is more important than the reality of contribution to everyday family life.
0: We think that, but we're wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay? So one of the things lacking in young adults that harms them in the workplace yeah. is they don't have life skills. They don't know how to wake themselves up. They don't know how to keep track of deadlines. They don't know how to make meals. They don't know how to, uh, you know, help clean the house, so they're not learning that take care of self and pitch in for the betterment of the whole mentality, which are the ways in which those are the traits that they're going to be valued for in the workplace if they've got them. So, um, we need to give our kids responsibilities around the house. We 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 can't treat them as little sort of academic machines who only need to produce A's on tests and quizzes and homework. Hmm. No, they also need to be um, helping us clean up helping us maintain the house, helping us make meals, helping us clean clothing. And in my book, I there's a whole chapter on teaching kids life skills. And, and many parents, including me, are shocked when you read a list of what two- and three-year-olds are capable of and four- and five-year-olds are capable of and so on. How competent you, they can be. Exactly. Yeah. And they want to be is a thing. Of course. You know, there are many, many cultures around the world where, again, in the absence of affluence, where so much of the work of life is taken care of by someone you hire or a machine – You know, kids actually develop hard skills that teach them, you know, I am a capable human being.
1: So Um, in the moment, though, of the decision, am I going to let her off the hook and she doesn't have to do the dishes or study for that exam so she gets a higher grade and increasing her chances of getting into a good school, how do I resolve How do I even know as a parent that I'm wrestling with that dilemma so I'm conscious enough to be able to make an intelligent choice about raising an independent, resilient child?
0: Yeah, I think um, if you are frequently letting them off the hook, if you're frequently saying, well, you've got so much homework, therefore you don't have to you know, do the dishes or you don't have to go to bed, you know, these are indicators that our priorities are out of whack. We've let school become this tyrannical force that gets to dictate how much homework our kids will do Mm -hmm. um, in order for our hoped for outcome, which is that they get the right grades. Um, Kids in communities like mine aren't getting enough sleep and pediatricians Mm. are, are screaming at us to pay attention to that because it's a, it's a really strong indicator of, you know, mental health problems and, and worse. So we've not, not to mention
1: attention and and your capacity to actually withstand the rigors of a full day at school. What we haven't talked about yet, Julian, I want to get into this. How, by letting go, you actually free yourself up to be less stressed and better capable of living the life you truly want. So,
0: let l- me turn to that, Stu. Can I just turn to like three things a, a parent can do right now if they're listening, or please. stop doing? Yes. Um, you know, again, the philosophy is our job as parents is to put ourselves out of a job and raise a kid, a kid to independent adulthood. Here's what we can stop doing if we're overparenting. We can stop doing today. Number one, stop saying we. When you really mean your son or your daughter, these days we're really prone to saying, We're on the travel soccer team, you know, we're doing this science project, we're <laughs> applying to college this fall. And, and wrong pronoun. Is, we're not. And in some ways it's the it's it's revealing just how intertwined we are with our kids' lives to an unhealthy extent. But if we can make the linguistic change it might help us become more mindful of the fact that we're actually too intertwined. So these are our sons and daughters' efforts and accomplishments and achievements. Say my son, my daughter, don't say we. Number two, stop arguing with every adult in their path. We've decided we can and should try to control and perfect every outcome. So we are much more likely as parents these days to be all up in a teacher's face, a principal's face, a coach or a referee. These folks are under siege from well-meaning but you know, frankly, just over-involved parents who don't trust that their kid can possibly have that conversation on their own behalf. Mm-hmm. And so we teach them that authority is always to be argued with. And there's, you know, of course, we're a free-thinking democracy. We don't want to just, you know, follow um, some arbitrary rules, even if they come from a teacher or a coach. You know, we have the right to question, but we mustn't always question. And We have to teach mm-hmm. kids that you know, adults are to be respected for the most part. But when something does need to be raised, I'd like more playing time. I didn't understand this concept. You know, I think you graded this essay unfairly. We've got to teach our kids to advocate for themselves or yeah. else we'll become those parents who are calling up the professors. So how do you do that? When our kid's in college. Well, you sit down with them and you say, okay, honey, you know, it, it looks like this, um, you know, th- you. I know you worked on this essay. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm not feeling very good. I didn't get a very good grade. Okay, Um, what do you, you know, what do you want to do about that? Well, Mm -hmm. um, mom, what do you think I should do? And you as the mom or dad can say, you know, you should go and talk to your teacher and say, I got the essay back. I'd like to go over it with you. I'd like to understand, uh, what it is that you're concerned about or how I might've made a better effort. Uh, we want to teach our kids that through trial and error, you know, through effort and outcome, they can continually improve. So we just coach them through how to have the conversation rather than do it. Rather than do it, because if we do it always, they will never have the skill. And I've seen that eventuate in 18 to 22-year-olds, and it looks really unfortunate. It really does.
1: What so, do you mean? What, what,
0: well, it just, they look, you know, they're chronologically adult, but they're still reliant upon mom or dad to kind of have that tough conversation on their behalf. It looks, I tell you, the, the, the term I've coined, Stu, it's not very pretty. The term is Existential impotence.
1: Existential impotence.
0: Okay, you don't want that for your kid. Lack
1: of power about asserting one's existence.
0: Exactly, and when they're twenty, you know, you just think, my goodness, this. I don't care how beautiful their GPA is or how impressive their SAT scores. If they don't have what it takes to make a plan on their own behalf, Mm -hmm. make a choice between competing opportunities, um, go and seek help when they're struggling, um, contend with disappointment. You know, sit with their own. Unhappiness, and and mm-hmm. mull it over, and uh, and come up with a solution and a way forward. You know, what hope do they have? What hope do do we have when they're leading our wonderful nation? So let me tell you the third thing. This is the third yes, thing. I it's, was about to ask. Yeah. So it's um, so stop saying we when you mean your kids. Stop arguing with all the adults in their lives, and then um, stop doing their homework. <laughs> mm. I mean, it sounds obvious, but it's time we talked about it. Parents are overhelping. Parents are going behind and correcting the math problem so the kid gets a better grade, but mm. the kid never learns. All the thing, all the kid learns is, my mom or dad always needs to correct my homework. Mm. I'm not actually capable.
1: Dependence okay? rather than resilience and, and a self belief and yeah, their own it, capacity.
0: It damages them. We might get the higher grade for them, but number one, it's unethical. Number two, the teacher doesn't know what the kids in her classroom actually understand. Right. Number three, the kid thinks. I can't do it without my mom or dad. They get manufactured to a certain GPA with our help, but they don't have what it takes, you know, In when they're finally on their own, when that time comes.
1: So, And that's great advice. Let me offer um, an observation here. We did a study a couple of years ago uh, comparing the class of 1992 Gen Xers with the millennials, class of 2012. Uh, And it was a true longitudinal study. So we actually surveyed the students when they were graduating seniors here in 1992, and we did the same thing for the class of 2012. So we have a 20-year longitudinal study. And one of the startling things we found was that uh, young people today, men and women, are much less likely to plan to have or adopt kids, Mm -hmm. like by half. It was 79% said yes to that question in in 92. Only 42% said yes uh, just a couple of years ago. And it's a complex story, and I'm not going to get into the details of it here, but one of the things that I've heard in going around speaking about this to college students and others is that, uh, and it's, this really sh- took me aback, is that one of the reasons that young people today fear having children is the pressures of producing a high-achieving child. Like, they don't want to be in a position of having failed to produce a child who gets into Harvard. Right, And and so that that pressure is being felt by young adults today, and it's turning them off from the whole concept of even becoming a parent. So what do we do about that problem?
0: Boy, I am thrilled to know of your study, and I'd love to get uh, my hands on a copy of it. Um, Here's what I would – so what are we going to do about it? Uh, We have to make adulthood look a lot more attractive than we're making it look. And this actually gets to your um, earlier point about – if we can back off of our kids and not hover quite so much, we free ourselves up, you know, to live a rich, vibrant adult life, which Mm -hmm. by the way shows kids that adults do live rich, vibrant lives and that adult lives are not simply spent shuttling children around (laughs) and standing on the sidelines. So for their sake and for ours, you know, we need to get our own lives back and stop being so obsessed with cultivating our kids every moment. I'm guessing that not only is there the pressure of, you know, um, C- cultivating a perfect child, we've just made adulthood seem terribly unattractive. Mm. And I think one of the reasons there refusing to claim the adult label for themselves i mean we started calling college students kids in the prior decade when you and i were in college we didn't refer to ourselves as kids and no. we called a 25 year old a kid either no um, so i was a man you were a woman a, you were a man I was a woman. <laughs> and and we got to get to the u.s army in a moment let me hold that thought but what i just want to f- finish saying here no is, we
1: only have like a minute left julie
0: <laughs> okay fine um if we're going to let 18 to 25 year olds of affluent families off the hook and call them kind of emerging adults or not really adults or adults who still need a whole lot of hand-holding from mom or dad, we have to completely rethink the way we uh, run the United States Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines because we're happy to say to a kid for whom those are the best choices out of high school, go fight and die for your country. You have what it takes. We're happy to call them adults, but somehow we're letting mm. you know, college kids off the hook when it comes to responsibility mm. and accountability. That's
1: a great point. All right, so in the last 30 seconds here, what do you want to leave our listeners with, Julie, as, as your best advice?
0: Um, folks, I'm in this with you. I've had these tendencies myself. We want our kids to – I'll tell you what, the, the 25 seconds. We've been duped into believing that there are a small number of colleges that are uh, the only ones we can be proud to send our kids to, and that's what motivates a lot of our crazy behavior. Uh, U.S. News & World Report is wrong. There are probably 140 fantastic schools in this country, most of which don't have cutthroat admissions rates. Be willing to look into those. Be willing to embrace those, and you'll discover your kid's high school experience um, is far um, happier and less stressful, and your life will be less stressful as well.
1: I've been speaking with Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's the author of the great new book uh, that all parents should read. It's called How to Raise an Adult. Uh, She's the former dean of freshmen at Stanford, And I want to thank you so much, Julie, for joining us on the show tonight.
0: Stu, thanks for having me. I'd love to come back.
1: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Julie Lithcott-Hames and that you're taking away some ideas that you can use with your own children or perhaps just to better understand the millennial mindset. So here's a challenge to you, an invitation, if you're a parent. What small step might you take this week, something you've not done before, but that you could do, that would be supportive of your child's or your children's growth toward independence? So if you try something like that, let me know. I would love to hear how this small experiment goes for you and your child or your children. You can tweet at Stu Friedman or just email me, friedman at wharton.upenn.edu, and I will look forward to hearing from you. For more information about Julie Lithcott-Hames, visit the website Com. That's all one word, Com. Well, it's many words, but no spaces. HowToRaiseAnAdult.com, and you can follow her on Twitter at Dean Julie, D-E-A-N Julie. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and co-workers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.